0: Yo, the diversity hires back at you. Shoot, this week we have a uh, we have like a main topic and a secondary topic, both very interesting. It's just me and you on the pod this week. I hope people enjoy just hearing us ramble for a little bit. Uh, can I tell you what we're gonna be talking about today? Yes, please do. First, we're gonna be talking about nepotism. We're gonna be talking about the idea that some people are getting advantages in the film industry because of who their family is, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then for our main topic, we're gonna to be doing a deep dive into scenes, scene work. How do you write a fire scene? What is a scene? How do you make it really click? How do you make it sing? How do you make it jump off the page? What's essential? What's not essential? How do you just make it great?
1: Mm-hmm. Love that, love that. I, I don't really have I don't really have anything to add except for this is like we tag the beginning of these sometimes as nerd alerts or for the screenwriting nerds and i think this is one of those craft for the screenwriting nerd episodes so if you liked the pitching episode or you like the sort of writing your first draft episode those kinds of episodes this is another one of those only built for screenwriting nerds Pick the <laughs> music
0: Yo, 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 the diversity hires where
1: Sherman Shoe shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two professional film and television writers living and working in Los Angeles, and we come here every week to give you the lowdown on the business, the craft, and of course, don't forget the culture of writing for film and television from a distinctly black point of view. I am your co-host, Shukriya San Tillman. Some people call me Shu. Yo, I'ma let the
0: world know the truth. You don't want me to shine. You know who it is, the greatest screenwriter of all time, AKA the G-Swope. Your favorite screenwriter's favorite screenwriter, and the living embodiment of the Courier font. Your other co-host, Sherman Payne, here ready to get into a deep dive nerd craft episode.
1: So now you're taking this is, a, <laughs> this is a new evolution of your introduction. Wait, so now man. you are you you are if I'm not mistaken, now you are taking like a piece of an existing verse or rhyme, and but then inserting like you know, the G swan or your own sort of your own no. line in there. Is that right?
0: No, well, some, I have done that before, and you actually called me out on it before. You said it was blasphemy <laughs> when I changed a Public Enemy lyric. Uh, but this yes, time, it, it was probably yes. just a, such a smooth transition that you thought I did that, but I actually didn't. I just gave you the first line of Cannabis's fantastic diss track towards LL Cool J, second round KO. I just gave you the first line of his verse, and then I just went into my typical introduction. So it probably is because I'm so smooth on the mic, true, that it sounds like I've incorporated it. But this time, actually, <laughs> it, was just a, it was just them being mashed together. Whatever. Where is Cannabis? Oh, man. Did he go to the military before or after his career? Nobody understands Cannabis' backstory. It's like like he's a true superhero shrouded in mystery. It's like Like, an alien, yeah. Yeah, like he claims like multiple different... Like, is he from New York? Is he from New Jersey? Is he from somewhere? Like, you don't even really know where he's from. Was he in the military before or after he was a rapper? (laughs) Like, I don't understand at all. I will say that talk about just one of the highest potentials in rap music that never quite came to fruition. I mean, when you think about yeah. how he burst on the scene in the late mid to late nineties, I think like ninety seven, ninety-eight is when he really erupted. The way that he was just bodying guest verses, oh my God, you thought that this was gonna be yeah. like Rock Kim two point oh and it never quite became that. But he what we got from him during that
1: short period of high productivity was pretty amazing. Well he sort of did he or did he not? I mean, he pissed off L. Cool J, which we know. But yeah. is there some sense that, like, he, I mean, did he really fall off, or was his career, like, you know, destroyed from the inside, you know, behind the scenes by people we don't know whose names we don't know? I mean, is this did he get sort of the kind of like he's not allowed in these rooms? Oh, you mean like how uh,
0: how Jay Z did to Joe Budden, <laughs> which is true. How yeah. Jay-Z sabotaged Joe Budden from behind the uh I don't know, man. I think that he was an alien rapper, man. And I think sometimes when you are such a skilled rapper, it doesn't translate to music. And that's it's putting out a hit song and putting out good music is totally different than being just an amazing rapper who can rap for hours and just blow your mind with lyrics. People get tired of that. You know what I mean? Like people want to hear mm-hmm. songs, people want to hear hooks, people want to hear you know, something a little more fascinating and creative than just you rapping. So I yeah. think he was doomed in a way by his own skill. I mean, listen, this is not a rap podcast, but we could probably name five or six other rappers who are incredibly talented, who just can rap their their asses off, but never quite click in terms of making music, which is something different. Totally different. That's true. That's true. But Shout Out Cannabis, I mean, just like <clears throat> come, at that time coming at LL Cool J... I mean, LL Cool J was still—he was—he is a rap legend, obviously, and he at the time was a major player in rap, you know, and he had revitalized his career that at that time in in such a huge way, and to come at LL who was just like known to battle people,
1: and to come I mean, at him known—I with- mean, if you don't know, like aside from the studio stuff, I mean this is like aside from ncis this is what he's known for to battle people it hurts my heart
0: it hurts my heart that there's probably you know what's so funny is that uh we were talking about ll cool j on my i have a i have a thread we'll bring this back to screenwriting i have a text thread with all the writers from shameless Mm -hmm. and we were talking about ll cool j he came up somehow in the in the text thread and we asked our young assistant we said, do you even know who LL Cool J is? She was like born in the 90s. Do you even know who? She's like, yeah, I kind of know he made some music, but like I mainly know him as a TV star. And that kind of hurt wow, my
1: heart, bro. It's amazing. That, that kind of hurt my heart.
0: There's a whole generation who are going to know him as like the guy who hosted the Grammys and the guy who was on NCIS. And yeah, I think, didn't he have a song with Boys II Men when I was like a kid?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Ice T's got that same fate. I mean, he's just the cop from, from Law and Order <laughs> right. for many, 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 many generations of or many, many people in in certain generations. So Yeah,
0: no and, and listen, no shade to either one of those guys. They're they are making no. probably millions oh, more than God. they made on the rap career as T V oh stars. God. So
1: they're doing I'm great. I'm sure yeah, it's a very concerted choice. And by the way, like there is just we talked about it a little bit I believe it was in last week's podcast. I don't know if it was last week in the way we release them, but we did talk about, like, you know, rappers who sort of make the transition into into film and television. Right. And, you know, those are two, like, in front of the camera, you know, just really, like, just, I mean, talking about getting on a franchise and just staying there. I, I mean, mean, TV stars, they're, year they're legitimate. Year
0: after year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're legitimate TV stars on network hits. I mean, you know, it doesn't really get better than that in terms of being an entertainer.
1: All right. Well, uh, enough on uh, rappers. We've started our last couple uh, <laughs> beginnings of our show talking about rappers. It's I mean, really sure. interesting we, going on there. I'm not sure what that's about.
0: I mean, it's about that we're two black men who grew up in the 80s and 90s, and came of age in the early 2000s, and that's a huge part of our culture. Like,
1: we can't we can't deny who we are, bro. We, we, uh, Did you we, see? Rap music speak- is a big
0: part of who we are.
1: That's true. Did you see, speaking of which, that Travis Scott apparently wrote a uh, script? For, I know he has a deal at 824, but there was some uh, Instagram tweet yeah. out or whatever. Yeah. The his, the
0: homie, uh, the shout out Jonathan Hyman. Is that his name? Yes. Shout Jonathan, out Jonathan. Jonathan Hyman, listener, friend of both me and Shakri, aspiring young writer out of Atlanta, GA. He sent us that, uh, that Travis Scott. I didn't look into it deep enough to know if it was real or it was some kind of marketing ploy uh Travis Scott is a marketing genius obviously and mm-hmm. the way that he's selling Nike shoes and McDonald's meals yes. he just I, I wouldn't be surprised if he could sell a movie the same way so
1: yeah um, exactly but, writing and a selling it might be two different things but who knows i mean maybe he's i who knows i who knows i know he has a deal with A24 i know there's some sort of movie what does that even mean to make a deal? What does it even mean for a, for a
0: serious production company like A24 to make a deal with a rapper? Is that like a blind script deal? Like we just want to basically we just, we just believe yeah. in Travis Scott so much that whatever comes out of his mouth Wait, so
1: you're needs. like making fun I can hear your tone. You're making fun of it. Listen, I'm being i being sincere like he has I, a deal.
0: No, I I don't know if he has a deal or not. I don't know if that was I'm like I'm telling a mean...
1: you I'm written. I'm, oh, I'm you telling know. you it's in the it's yes, he has okay. a deal. He has a deal. At deal. A24. What the what the content of that deal is, I don't know. I imagine it's, like you said, like some sort of blind script or some sort of it's first ridiculous. look or something. It's ridic- It's insulting and ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it's insult. I mean, like... He,
1: How do you know the man didn't go to, you know, take screenwriting classes and... Even if he did. His-
0: even if he did, bro. He's not... There's no... Not him in particular. No shit. Like, I don't want to talk about him in particular. You know, I'm... And his music is great. He puts out some hits. They're enjoyable. But does he write a good script? Do you think he's putting in the work? I mean, like, you got to work at this shit, bro. This is not, you don't just step off the street and get in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. You're going to get knocked out, bro. <laughs>
1: yeah we're True. we're just
0: we no i i True. agree we're we just are the world. top prize fighters we are amongst those people bro we're in title contention we're on ring magazine's list of people that should be getting shots and being qualified and somebody steps off the street and now they're gonna write a script and play in our arena what no way
1: but you know what that's about yes but that's about like if their name is you know uh sort of like the logan paul thing but uh, if their if their name is whoever I don't know somebody famous from another industry or from another thing then yeah, yeah they can f- they can fight for a belt, yeah, you know? I mean they
0: can you know and and it is a business, so I get it, you know he does sell a lot of things and he does it very well, you know, so I get that business aspect, but I'm here to defend the quality of the art that's what I'm all about, man, the quality of writing that's what I like high quality writing all the other stuff doesn't move me so i'm always going to well, be like a
1: defender of the craft this is actually a perfect segue to one, our opening topic today which is about nepotism versus meritocracies or nepotism and meritocracy i don't know it sounds like a known chomsky book nepotism and meritocracy <laughs> all right but um <laughs> but uh it, this this opening topic comes today. Maybe it takes us down a rabbit hole of a couple other things. But it comes basically from, a, a, it's a little bit old now by the time you'll be hearing this. But a few weeks ago, Variety Magazine, I think a, another trade, maybe deadline, reported on the casting of a short film and the upcoming production of a short film. That short film is directed by uh, Destry, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, Destry Spielberg, who is Steven Spielberg's daughter. And it's written by Owen King, who is uh, an author also, but the son of Stephen King. And the casting noted, or well, the 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 news of casting was that uh, it was uh, casting Hopper Penn, who is Sean Penn's son, uh, along with Brian Darcy James, who's a, a well known actor. If you saw his face, I'm sure you know who he is. So. There was this article that just came out in the trade that this movie was happening. And Franklin Leonard, who you have uh you, you know, who essentially started your career, Sherman. Yeah, we gotta um, get him on. Gotta get him on. Yeah. He
0: was the, the if there was a row of dominoes that got me to uh, you know, my modest position today, Franklin Leonard tipped over the first domino, or he was the first domino. I don't know how the analogy works, but you get what I'm saying.
1: Yes. Well, to get right to it, so he he responded uh, to this news with a tweet that said, "Hollywood's a meritocracy, right?" Question mark. Um, and Ben Stiller, for God knows what reason, uh, jumped into this this sort of Twitter fray and said, "Hey, Frank, and I'm paraphrasing Franklin. This is that's too easy, man. People are working. Everybody has their path. You know, just wish them all the best." They got into a back and forth right. uh, in which Franklin Leonard basically said, I do wish them all the best, but I think it's important that we recognize that nepotism happens in this business. And uh, it's, not, it's not like that for everybody. To which, and this is the kicker, Ben Stiller essentially said, I, say, I agree, um, but I'm just saying that Hollywood ultimately at the end of the day, no matter who you are, is a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. To which Franklin Leonard lost his mind. <laughs> right. Okay, well, first of all,
0: first of all, you're using a lot of words I don't understand. And I'm gonna take it as an insult. Uh any, any idea what that reference is? No. 40 year old Virgin, Kevin Hart, the best scene oh, that Kevin Hart ever that's had. that's a great scene yes. ever had on, on film. That's it's a just amazing. Scene. It's like cameo and he killed it. Uh we a got crazy, a link to that. AKB, we got a link to that in the newsletter. But um <laughs> You know, so let's first break down some of these terms because they, you know, they get sophisticated. Meritocracy means a society based on merit, meaning like in an industry or a society or a culture, do people earn their position based off merit or do they base it off something else? And when we're talking about nepotism, nepotism means that you get your position based off essentially who your family is or how much wealth you have in some cases or how prominent your family is or sometimes your family directly giving you a job uh, when you didn't earn it. So when we're talking about nepotism versus meritocracy, it means like did you get your did you get your gig and did you get your position because you were dope and you earned it or did you get your position because you were related to somebody who was rich and powerful and famous. And of course, this conversation is about Ben Stiller who is, by the way, you know, a child of old Hollywood yes. royalty. Jerry Stiller, his dad, is a great comedian and had a long career. And then, you know, Franklin Leonard on the side of meritocracy saying like, well, you, you people are getting their positions off nepotism, so how can we consider this, this industry to be
1: uh, based off merit? So just wanted to clarify that real quick. So I'm pretty sure I know where you stand on this, but like, what did you think about that whole, because by the way, it goes on, like their back and forth goes on for a while. And then still to his credit, because Franklin Leonard basically makes the case that, well, if it's a meritocracy, then what, how do you explain the awful diversity numbers? How do you explain? That was the knockout um, punch. Yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, So are you just saying that like these black and brown people just don't, you know, just can't? Uh, make the grade? Is that ultimately what you're saying? Right. Franklin
0: Leonard Leonard saying that if if you think it's such a meritocracy, Ben, then why aren't black people and Latin people and women reaching the same levels as white men? Well, there's really no response for that because merit, as we know, opportunity isn't uh, equally distributed but talent really is talent exists in all communities at the same rate that's just how what we're endowed with when we're born so yes, just, just yeah, yeah if it was really it's a meritocracy if it was really a meritocracy we would all we would see numbers that basically are on par with what the demographics of society are yes. so just to just to talk about it from the bird's eye view of course i agree with franklin leonard i would say that i 95 percent agree with franklin Leonard. the one thing i will say that i think ben stiller made a good point is i do think for the most part that once because there's sort of two sides to the to to the industry right there's the side of aspiring people trying to break in trying to get noticed trying to get a foothold in the industry that's very difficult to do you know it should we've we climbed yes, up from that you know from that uh that wrong on the ladder to get to the modest position we are today. It's difficult. You can spend your whole life trying to do that. You often read stories of people getting their first shot in their 50s. That's not Mm -hmm. unheard of. It takes sometimes almost a lifetime to even get through the door. So Mm -hmm. in that respect, of course, nepotism is a huge benefit to you if your dad is Steven, I mean, come on. Like, I think Franklin Leonard pointed this out that why is a short film even being covered? in the trades right why do you even get that level of publicity for a short film exactly nobody gets has
1: been that hasn't yeah. been made yeah it hasn't don't even been
0: made get it. development news for short films for unknown filmmakers doing their first project or one of their early projects so even that is a is a form of nepotism in my opinion that mm-hmm. level of publicity that level of name recognition gets you, your foot in the door in a way that almost nobody else would have access to I do sort of agree with Ben Stiller, though, that, like, especially behind the camera, that you're not going to last long based off your name alone. I do kind of believe that. I agree with that. I think that, like, at some point you might get a couple shots early on because of your name. But if you're whack, I don't think companies are going to keep spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to uh, put forward your bad scripts and your bad movies if there's sort of no talent and no return on investment there i think you will you know skill you know i I know uh, i know i mean i know it's shaky but i guess i'm i'm just trying to give stiller a little bit because i for example i do think ben stiller to me is a great talent ben stiller is i like his movies that he's directed quite frankly i like his performances in front of the camera i think he's a great talent i don't know what he's like as a person i've never met him but i do think that by this point Ben Stiller has earned his right to be in the industry based off of oh, what he's actually made
1: long ago 100%. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I mean since the 90s, right? Like he was yeah. he was ill in the 90s. So I guess when I'm I'm just trying to uh, instead of just saying like we both agree with uh <laughs> we
1: both agree with with <laughs> Litter, I'm
0: just trying to give him a little something cuz I do think there is some truth to
1: that. Uh, look, and, and if you read these tweets if you happen to want to go back and look at them like Ben does take a very, like, um, what's the word? He sort of, he softens his position, he, you know, as they go on. And he tries to say the, a lot of the things that you're saying that where he does, I mean, I think he and Franklin Leonard clearly have different approaches, but a lot of common ground. That was my takeaway. That like, uh-huh. yeah, but it was just that he, but his first reaction was that, hey, it's more of a meritocracy than anything. And I think that just sort of, to me, reveals that that while intellectually, you know, you may believe all these other things that, and, and I'm not in Ben Stiller's mind, so I, you know, I'm not trying to make a hard and fast claim, but uh, based on what he's saying, it seems like when you point it out to him, when you point out the the well, then how how could it be that you have these uh, these discrepancies and diversity, um, behind the camera, if it's a meritocracy, it's only then that, that, uh, then started to realize, oh, okay, well, you're, you're right. That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? But to me, that's the bigger problem is that like the, the, it still means that the first reaction or the first thought is that you have that this is about your skill. And while I do agree that it is true, I do agree with you that it is true that you probably cannot coast on your name alone throughout uh, for a career. Um, that's probably behind the camera. Post. I
0: think I can think of a few examples in front of the camera of people getting roles that okay. probably like that, you you should not have roles for a lifetime. But, yes, I agree
1: with you behind the camera. But I say probably you can't. but I have a huge caveat, which is that, and this has really nothing to do with your name necessarily, but we know that in our business, there's at least a 50-50 shot that a moderately or low, I'll just call it, uh, not very talented person gets opportunity or even a toxic person. We know this for sure. A toxic person Mm
0: -hmm. gets
1: opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, regardless of what the hell their name is. There's at least a 50-50 shot that that's going to happen. So, you know, which is is either, it may not be family name nepotism. It may just be be because we know that person's name, um, you know, and they've been around. And so we say, well, we'll just give them. I know he threw a stapler at a girl's head last job, but, We'll hire him. It's fine. Whatever. You know, he's he delivers the show on On time, time, under budget. uh, Yes. You know, so so there's at least a 50 50 shot of that anyway, just existing outside of the nepotism uh, realm. So then I would say there's at least a 50 50 shot that uh, that nepotism or name would play a role. So while I don't think it's like likely necessarily' um, you know more than fifty percent let's say that you would your name would would grant you industry, grant you entree or longevity in a career if you're talentless there's at least a fifty percent chance however that it will yeah yeah <laughs> so, I mean at
0: least uh, that that's yeah. definitely being modest i you know i'm I'm glad that they came to some sort of uh you know sort of stasis in their conversation and I'm glad Franklin Leonard made the point about diversity we are after all the diversity hires and I think it's important that we keep that forefront and I'm glad that you know Franklin Leonard centered the conversation on that
1: yeah and look I mean from an artist to artist and I think this was the point Ben was trying to make up front artist to artist and, and by the way Franklin didn't disagree with this but artist to artist you know we hope they do well man I hope to hope that hope Spielberg's foray into short filmmaking is great you know hope Owens for uh uh foray into screenwriting is great hope the hope the thing turns out well you know hope is hope is wonderful and hope they go on to long and fruitful careers and you know you know maybe maybe they maybe we'll get a call one day maybe they need something, yeah, something man. written. who knows you know yeah. it's all good and artists are artists we support them but Of course. You know, the naivety, you know, around, like, (laughs) it's a meritocracy, even though their, you know, names are in variety for a short film that's not even made is stupid. I mean, come on. It's the same, by the way, it's the same mechanism. That's why it was a good segue. Even though it's not nepotism, it's the same mechanism um, that has Travis Scott writing a script. For a twenty-four, oh, yeah. it's the same mechanism. It's the same sort of like, and maybe that script's gonna be wonderful. Artist to artist, it could be great, man. Um, but it's and the true. same true. kind of thing.
0: Sure, yeah. Same mechanism that gets Malia Obama a staff writing job.
1: All right, here we go. I'm sorry here to tell go. you. I was wondering. I know, wondering if, I know I you. Wondering. You we've already okay. pinned.
0: We've already pinned you down on your opinion on this. And it's no, no different. No, we have bro. not talked about it's, it on the <laughs> it's, podcast. It's, no, no say you, you have avoided the subject. No, bro. we have pinned you. We have pinned you down on how you feel about name recognition getting you into the industry. And I forget again, again oh, artist oh, to artist. There's no
1: question. There's no question artist that, to artist,
0: that yes. artist to artist. Of course, I'm, uh, Malia Obama is somebody who I'm rooting for more than anybody. Me too, yeah. but. It's the same mechanism that of gets course. Malia Obama. We can't oh, give her, we saying. can't I give her there. <laughs> we can't give her a pass and say it's a like no. good thing that she's making headway because of her name when we're not you know and while we're holding these other people accountable. The principle is you know do we support people getting positions in this industry and getting a leg up because of their name or not?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and you're absolutely right, and. All I can say to that is I totally agree that we can't, you can't, we can't be hypocritical. So I am of the mind that like, and look, all, we're, all I'm saying, at least I will speak for myself, is that we can't pretend that it doesn't happen. It's not that like it should go away. You know, this is just a reality of how things happen. And I I think that was Franklin's point too, is that we just have to recognize that this is what happens. Let's not pretend it's not happening and it's all on their merit and no bullshit.
0: But I I'll disagree with you. I think it should go away. I think actually I would love I know that it's not and I know that it probably won't happen in our our lifetime. I'm not naive. I know that we will not be in a meritocracy completely in show business Hollywood, which is always in some, you know. Warner Brothers, hello. It's always been named based off family and, and connection. Sure. But what I'll say is, again, going back to Ben Stiller, who's a known quantity, he pro- you know what? He probably would have made it, bro. You know what I mean? Like he's he I think he's that talented that he probably would have gotten to the position he is based off of his talent and his ability to direct and act and be a performer. I yes. think he's I think it would have
1: gotten and so, The so same the, may be true for Destry Spielberg or for may, Malia Obama.
0: Exactly. Exactly. They may all they may all have the goods, bro. You know, we may be working for all of them. I mean, frankly, Ben Stiller could hire us or fire us today because that's his position in the industry. But maybe Destry Spielberg will get there. Maybe Malia will get there. And hopefully, you know, they're going to be dope and they're going to put a lot of other people on. I'm just saying that I actually root for a meritocracy because yeah, I, give you I, that. I feel like if it was a meritocracy from the jump, I would have gotten to where I am a lot faster, frankly. (laughs) I think I would have actually would have accelerated my pace because that's how fire my scripts are. You know, I actually think that I was being blocked by a lot of whack writers who got there before me and were clogging up and gumming up the system. So anyway, we could go on and on. I don't know. We want to beat this (laughs) into the
1: ground. Nah, we don't want to beat it into the ground. All
0: right. Well, let's get into our next topic the main topic of today. I don't know, it's kind of a split episode, but the, what we consider the main topic of today are yeah. craft dissection of scene work. Um, I think we should be honest with the listeners that we did record this already and we just weren't <laughs> pleased with the results. We were sort of scatterbrained. We actually got pressed for time. We had to cut it short. So we thought it's going to be a short conversation. Why not just redo it? And yes. I think one of the things that derailed us was that I gave, what you thought was a too esoteric definition of scenes. So I'm going to throw it to you right off the bat and ask you <laughs> to define for the listeners, what is a scene? Uh,
1: a scene is a...
0: um Oh, oh a sure. You're, we're already <laughs> stumbling. We're already stumbling. Well, look, we, we came okay, here to re-record here, here, and we're here. already stumbling.
1: Here's my real answer to this question. Okay. My real answer to I want to hear to the real qu- one. That's what I want. Here's my only, real I only answer want to the this real. question. I only want the real. In 2021, everybody knows what a. everybody who consumes media, this is not the beginning of talkies or something. This is not 1947. This is 2021. Uh-huh. Everybody between their screen, between um, the television, between their laptop has consumed media of different types and ultimately almost instinctively knows what a scene quote unquote is right even if it's a tiktok they know what a what a what a scene is so i i it's almost right. self-explanatory wait a second it's almost self-explanatory but i will take a moment to say that you know a tiktok is different than um a scene in you know, Casablanca or something. And so a scene in a movie or a television show, uh, is an event, I guess, uh, or a, a, a time and place with one person or persons, uh, in which, uh, in, in, uh, at some point in a story in which, and this is the key part, I think, uh, uh, that has a purpose towards advancing the overall story. That is ultimately, I think, a scene. Okay. Well, I'm uh, because I'm already disagreeing with you. Uh, I, 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 do mean, th- I don't really, it's hard. I don't know that. Right. Well, go ahead. Go.
0: I'm just going to say that I do. I, yes, people have watched scenes, right? People have spent their whole life watching scenes. I don't yes. think your average person could at any point really define a scene. And I do think it's important for us writers who are the ones who are in charge of actually crafting the stories to have a much deeper understanding than instinctively what, you know, what a viewer might know from a life of watching television and media, right? It's sort of like a baseball player. We can all sort of instinctively swing a bat, right? We all can sort of watch one baseball swing and sort of instinctively do it and, and make that motion, but if you're a professional baseball player, you're thinking about swing mechanics on a much, much deeper level. And I think that's why it's important to be able to define it uh, in some sort of clarity. I like your definition. I'll, you say, I'll say I'll that it's def- a... Go oh, ahead.
1: We're, we're going to get to really get... But you don't define what a swing is. You define good mechanics within a swing. Okay. But you don't have to define what the swing is. You I don't define, know. I, do you know I, I just think you're giving people too much credit, man. <laughs> you know, like... I have I'm not saying they know what a good scene is. I don't think they know what a
0: scene. I don't think they know what a scene is. I mean, I think they know the word scene. But if you ask somebody, when does this scene begin and end? I actually don't think most people could tell you the start and stop. When I started writing screenplays, I got all kinds of different people asking me about like, how's your play going? how's those sketches you're writing going? You know what I mean? Like people didn't even understand that I was writing specifically for the screen. There was like all these different terminologies coming at me. You know, these are aunties and uncles and stuff like Mm -hmm, really coming mm -hmm. at me from different ways. And these are people who watch media their whole lives. But in terms of actually understanding what they're watching and understanding how it functions, I actually don't think people have me and you, I think have, and we're going to let's go off on tangent here. (laughs) Me and you have a, 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 a fundamental disagreement issue. Which is, I think that we need to, in this podcast, open up a space for people who don't know anything. And you sort of think that the people who are listening and engaging in this are already people who sort of have the first several steps of their screenwriting journey already intact. So I think that like... I see. That might be true. Yeah, that might be true. I think that we should talk to the absolute beginner sometimes. And I encounter these people... All the time, man. You know, um, shout out the Black Screenwriters Facebook group, which I'm a part of on Facebook. And, you know, there are people who are really coming in there not knowing anything. And that's why I think it's sort of important to go to these very basic definitions and figure it out. But I digress. Okay. So I like your definition. Yeah, I'll say that, you know, a scene is a small, one of the smallest dramatic units of a screenplay. It takes place in continuous time, meaning real time. It unfolds in real time right before your eyes in a single location, in a single moment in time. And there is some dramatic objective within the scene. Now, in a good scene, I think that dramatic objective contributes to the overarching story Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the script, um, what the character wants for the whole script. Hopefully it advances that goal and that quest to get that thing. But mm-hmm. it sometimes can function on a much, much smaller level. Um, and I think we, we're we going to talk a little bit about how scenes sometimes don't have the big propulsive drama. Sometimes scenes can just be based on a very small one, unlike your movie or your television pilot, which should have a really big substantial goal. So a scene is a small dramatic unit within a script, takes place in more or less continuous real time in a single location in a single space and it has some sort of dramatic uh, underpinning to it right like a character wants something within that scene there's a beginning middle and end it is like a microcosm of a story
1: Mm -hmm. all -hmm. right
0: so now that we've defined scene show talk to me a little bit about before you go to write a scene you figured out your movie or your script or, or, or your pilot episode or your television episode whatever you're writing you figured out the big stuff but now you have to go write a scene in the middle of the script. What are you looking for? What are you thinking about and considering before you even start to actually type out uh, the actual words of the scene? What do you, what do you, where do you start?
1: Yeah. I thought about this a lot um, between uh, the last time we recorded this and and this time. and, And one of the things I started to think about was as I'm drafting and for me, most nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a television show or a pilot Right. And um, but even in movies, when I'm outlining and starting to think about scenes and starting to put cards together and put them up on a wall or on the board, the thing that's on the card to me is ultimately a lot of times where I both begin when I'm conceptualizing the scene and also where I want to remind, what I want to remind myself about after I go through all the machinations of making the scenes. Well, what do I mean by that? The, usually the card will say something to the, because the card is only so big, will say something to the effect of, this is the scene in which, making up names, this is the scene in which John figures out that he loves Lucy, right? Right. So that is the essence of the scene. That's what the card is ultimately going to say. It's not going to say this is the scene in which, you know, um, John, you know, ties his shoes because who cares? You know, right. This is the scene in which th- this th- he could tie his shoes in that scene also. But what, what the scene is about is this is the scene when John figures out that he loves Lucy. Right. Can, let me interject so, real
0: quick. So yeah. when you say cards, you're talking about an outlining method. That we primarily use in television, but also screenwriter, you know, film writers use too, which is like, you have your overarching story, you have your overarching idea, and you've already done the prerequisite work to understand how the scenes are going to lay out in the most general possible way. And each scene is a card,
1: right? Yes, but yes, but for the sake of this example, I will even take it back to like, even prior to, you know, necessarily knowing where, where scenes are going to fall necessarily. Mm -hmm. Because I think this still applies in thinking in the abstract about scenes, Okay. Um, if we want to talk that way. But but yes, I am I am speaking in terms of like that stage in the outline process. But even if you if you go back to uh, Tracy Wilson's episode where she was talking about when you're cons- when she's conceptualizing a script or a, a a television show, she'll oftentimes put scenes that she sees that she mm-hmm. just imagines onto cards, you know what I mean? And just right. to sort of figure out what, where these things may be arranged or what else. Right. I still think what I'm about to say applies to both, both scenarios, but so going back to, but we can, for the sake of this, we could just use as if yes, we're sort of in the outlining process, going to cards, uh, as we're thinking about moving through the story and what this story is about, um, Going to once we get to cards and say, This is the scene where John figures out he loves Lucy. Because what's key in that, what I'm getting at is, and I think this is where the place where I like to start, which is that I think a big misconception is that good stories or good screenplays are a collection of things that happen. And people start to think about what happens as opposed to what the scenes are about right not what's happening in the scenes but what they are about what are they what are what is sought to be accomplished here so I think the place to begin for me is always like it is exactly that in in a in a sentence or two what is this scene what is this scene about that's where I try to begin and I, I can go on a little bit more but I'll, I'll just stop there for now that that's my sort of initial thing I I, I want to lay out that's my original place is like, what is this?
0: Mm-hmm. So you know for me, it's interesting that you sort of start with the more emotional what's at stake emotionally for the characters mm. during the scene. I actually do start out with what happens when I'm on mm. when I'm on the card level. It's just like you know John and Kate argue, right? And then when I start to write the scene, I delve into what the emotional stuff is. I start to figure out what is really emotionally at stake. And I do that always by asking myself uh, those three magic questions that I got from David Mamet, which I've mentioned before on this show, but I'll say them again now, which is, who wants what from who? What happens if they don't get it? And why now? Right? Which is sort of like, what is the character's objective what are the mm-hmm. stakes of them trying to accomplish this objective? And why does it need to occur? You know, what's the timeliness of it? Why does it need to occur at this moment in the script? When I'm thinking about that last part of it, I'm always thinking about the context in which it exists with other mm-hmm. scenes, right? Because mm-hmm. the thing about scenes uh, that I think are that's really important and, and really affects the way that you write individual scenes is their cause and effect. It, what meaning what has caused this scene to happen what what ha, how have the previous scenes led to this exact moment and what is going to happen during this exact moment that's going to change the rest of your script so i'm thinking about it in those terms until i can answer those questions and those concepts i can't really move on and in exploring those questions and those concepts i start to get hopefully i start to get deeper and deeper into the what's emotionally at stake For the characters, what is sort of the thing that's under the surface of what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish? And how does that affect their emotional arc going forward, right? Because an argument, you know, an argument is an argument and that you can argue over anything, but it really doesn't resonate until it one changes the story going forward, and two changes the character emotionally. Cause your character mm. should always be changing emotionally and your character should always be sort of facing different circumstances throughout the script.
1: Yeah. I like that. I really like that. I love those three questions too. I think that's really important. And I also think that like, what that brings up for me is that, you know, it's so it's, it's, I was going to say difficult, but I actually think it's just, it's not even that it's difficult. It's more just unwise to think of scenes in and of themselves. I mean, scenes are, are um, even the best scenes are the best, in my opinion, are the best scenes because of the context in which they exist. They, they can't sort of just be, um, I mean, I think what makes scenes emotionally resonant is that they happen at the exact right time, that they are, um, uh, come at a point in the overall story that it makes sense for them to be there that, you know, all those things sort of cannot be separated in my mind from uh, the rest of the story. Sort of like, you know, (laughs) at least in a, at least in a good screenplay Um, I'm sure there are many, bad screenplays with you know a couple of good scenes but to me that's worthless i mean who gives a shit
0: yeah i i couldn't agree harder with you man i mean it, it's something that i think it's it, I, i've said this before as well but it's like it's i think it's the biggest issue with brand new aspiring writers is the lack of cause and effect the and, and i mean that the lack of connection from moment to moment the lack of one moment fueling the next moment and the next moment and the next moment all the way through the end of the movie, oftentimes things, like you said, they just happen. We just go into a scene with a character, it happens, and then you're like, well, why is that in the story? How It didn't affect anything. It didn't change anything. And then maybe several scenes later, you get back to that and it resonates a little bit, but it's not really integral to the plot. And I think what you're saying is like, once you've sort of built a basis of scene after scene after scene that's creating context and emotion and character and establishing all these things with the story, you might be able to get to a very small, slight scene that doesn't seemingly have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. But because it's in the context of a well-written script, it all yes. of a sudden has this much deeper meaning. I'll give you yes. an example. Okay. I wrote, I'm, I'm working on a script right now. And I wrote the scene where this uh, I don't want to go too deep into it, but this this character who owns a business is coming out and signing invoices for his secretary. That's literally the scene. The character wants to sign the invoices and get out the door and go run an errand. Mm -hmm. There's not much to that. But because it takes place at the very end of the movie. Right. It's a third act scene. And what Mm -hmm. we've established before the conversation they have, even though it's seemingly on the surface about these invoices. Has so much emotional resonance that wouldn't make sense out of context, mm-hmm, but makes mm-hmm. sense in the context of the movie because they've gone through this crazy journey, this emotionally draining journey together. And when the producers read it, they said, "I love that scene. That's one mm. of my favorite scenes of the movie, Sherman." Mm. It doesn't. It would not make sense if I sent it to you as a sample to, to demonstrate <laughs> right. my writing. You would be like, right. "Sherman, you know what? What? I don't get it. Sherman's not a great writer. There's no. There's nothing poppy about this scene. There's no huge emotional." you know, turns in, in, in the scene in and of itself. There's no action. Like why, why is this a well-written scene? Well, it's a well-written scene because there are literally 59 other scenes before it that lead to this moment.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So I'm going to ask you, uh, that's sort of like the macro level of scenes and how you get what, how we think about scenes and, and how we place them in context. But talk to me about what's your, do you have any sort of techniques or tips or tricks for actually writing the scene when you're sitting down to write an individual scene, anything that you want to highlight for the listeners?
1: Well, there are a couple of things that, that, you know, I think people have probably heard, um, before, but I think they're like tried and true things. Um, one of them is, and again, I just want to stress that, you know, all of this is dependent upon, um, you know, building a good script um you know from from the inside out and a structurally good script you have to look at other episodes to where we talk about structure but scenes themselves also have structures you know i mean i always try to think of acts or scenes as microcosms of uh, the larger sort of story Um, Mm -hmm. and so in the same way i i think is my own personal approach, that even the shortest scene, I mean, scenes have beginning, middles and ends, you know, scenes have um, uh, places uh, and, and involve characters who have wants and uh, obstacles, uh, wants or intentions, obstacles that they run into um, and then the resolution of that obstacle, and then we're out of the scene. Now, that obstacle doesn't have to be huge. That want doesn't have to suddenly be, it should be attached to the main want of the character, Of if we're talking about the protagonist, throughout the entire script. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't have to be like, every scene doesn't have to be the moment, you know? So there are varying levels of what that intention right. obstacle is in the scene. But I think um, those things, uh, th- that structure or that sort of... Um, you know, beginning, middle, end exists within a scene also, but my tip or trick this long way of getting around to is that I think one thing is that with all that in mind, it's important to sort of begin late and get out early, as they say. So even though there is a beginning, middle, and I think you want to find the moment. I think what helps advance stories is to find, you know, try to find the right moment that's as late as possible as you can get into that scene, you know, if there's a scene in which, you know, uh, I don't know, so-and-so is going to rob a clerk at a, at a, at a grocery store or something, you probably don't want to start that scene in the parking lot unless there's something there in the parking lot, who knows, but you probably don't or on the drive to the grocery store, probably not. You probably want to start that scene with, So-and-so walking into the grocery store checking, you know, his weapon or something. Or better yet,
0: or better yet, start on, close on, robber's face. He's speaking to somebody off screen. Put up your hands and empty the cash register. Reveal a scared cashier across from, you know what I mean? Like, you could start the scene actually already in progress. And people, one, because you, hopefully you've set up the context of the scenes beforehand. And we understand, oh, they're going to commit a robbery this is why it's important. This is why the robbery matters, but also because you know, trust your audience's savviness. Trust that yes. your, that
1: your audience are longtime film viewers. They're not going to be confused by that. Yes, exactly. And here's where I want to connect it to the thing I brought up earlier. Yeah, I think the the key, one of the keys to being able to identify how you can get in late or at the what what the right time is to get in which is as late as possible and what the right time to get out is which is as early as possible Mm -hmm. is connected to understanding what the scene is about not what happens in the scene but what the scene is about so if you enter the the sort of world of writing scenes understanding that this is the scene in which you know Well, maybe John is robbing Lucy in this in this case, but this is the scene, as I mentioned earlier, where John figures out that he loves Lucy, then that can help to guide you because, you know, you just you just need to communicate that ultimately. That's what the scene is about. We got to get there. And when we know that we got to get out of there and we got to do it interestingly. But once we know the core, since we already know the core of it, that's the key to us knowing when to get in and when to get out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this doves into, dovetails into one of the things that I want to talk about. I have a few other things I want to say, but I think you brought up some good points. And and in terms of starting late and getting out early, one of the things to avoid is that your scene, it shouldn't be an info dump. Your scene should never yes. really be about imparting information, raw information to the audience. Once you get rid of that idea, that, that scenes are meant to give information and... and, and um, What's the word I'm looking for? Information and exposition exposition and Mm -hmm. backstory to the audience. Once you get rid of that idea, you realize you can just get to the emotional heart of the scene. You can just get to how it affects the character and the character's journey. And you can sort of shed all of that exposition, all of the beginning and end that you thought you needed to impart information. Because audiences are really smart and they're going to figure out the info. The info is what they can fill in. The emotion and the story and the journey is what you have to give them. So I think that's really a big part of, you know, starting, starting late and early. Also the shoe leather stuff. Like just, you know, walking to the door, opening the door, finding a seat inside the restaurant, talking to the hostess and getting menus. Like we don't need all that, right? <laughs> Nine mm-hmm. times out of ten. No. Start with them already in the diner, sitting yeah. down. Start with them already taking their last bite of the meal. We'll get it. We'll understand how they got there.
1: Um, yes. Yeah. Can I? Can I pick yeah, you back on that? Go real ahead, quick, please. Because I think that's a great point. Like, and I think it's like it gets lost sometimes. I think even in 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 our like in the professional ranks or whatever the hell you call what we do. I think um, when in doubt, like find a way to if you can find a way to show us whatever the info was that you were going to tell us in dialogue or whatever, if you could show us that in the scene, find a way to show us that, you know, the old saying. So here's another old saying, show, don't tell. Right. So um, if there is a way, but I think that gets lost because like, even though I believe audiences are smart, like a lot of, I think executives and everybody just still thinks audiences are dumb. So, and wants to just tell us everything and not let us, You know, and this is a small tangent, dude, but like, I remember being, somebody said this and I forget when we were at Columbia, Sherman, I forget who it was Mm -hmm. and maybe it came from a TV show or something, so I could be repeating somebody famous or something, but I remember them talking about like the experience of watching movies at a certain time, Mm -hmm. uh, a certain decade. And they said like, one of the things they loved about going to the movies at that time was to like be a little confused right? Like to, to watch a movie and be alone for the ride and invest in being like, wait, I don't, I don't quite understand what's happening, but I'm in it. You know, yes. I'm a little confused. I'm a little like, but I'm a little, I want to see what happens. I don't quite get all of it, but loving that feeling and feeling like confident in the writer and the director and everybody that it was going to come together and that's sort of a lost thing, unfortunate, yes. because everybody wants to know, like, tell me, tell oh. me what, what is it? And, you know, or, or you're going to, they're going to click off the channel if they don't know, they need to know, you know? So that goes counter to some of the things we're saying, but right. I am still a big proponent of like, if you can show people without having to tell them, even if it's, you know, it's always just a more interesting way to go in terms of forming scenes.
0: Yeah, you know, producers and executives, I feel like they don't, sometimes they don't understand how savvy audience members are. And it can really require a lot of scene work to do exactly what I was preaching against, which is like these info dumps, because you're addressing not what you think the audience will understand or not understand, but you're interpreting what the producer or the executive thinks the audience will or won't understand. And that, Mm. that sometimes can lead to very deadly scenes. And, you know, if you're, if you're a writer for hire, you sometimes just have to do it, even though, you know, it's not right. And, but I, I think in my own writing, my own writing that I'm in charge of, I try to, I try to always leave the audience a little bit behind because as a viewer, I enjoy exactly what you described. I like a puzzle. You know, I want to, I want, I trust in, in good. When I, when I realize that something's good, I trust the filmmakers and the writers to get me to the place where I will eventually understand it. And they're Mm -hmm, not going to leave that. They're not going to leave that thing that seemed, that seemed important early on. They're not going to leave it un you know, unaddressed later on. They're going to tell me what it is. So I'm Mm -hmm. fine being behind it because I trust the filmmaker and the writer to get me there. And that's what a good writer will do. Just real quick. I want to talk a little bit about how I actually get into a scene and and what I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, It's important to, I think, identify, and this is basic one-on-one stuff. I'm not trying to condescend to anybody, but this is basic one-on-one stuff. Whose scene is it? Who is the person who is driving? That's a great, that's the a great scene? one. Who is the character that's driving the scene? And this is something you mentioned last time, Shu, and I'll take your, I'll take your little, uh, you know, your little nugget of knowledge here. Sure. But it's not always about the protagonist, right? You can have a scene between mm-hmm. the antagonist and their henchman. You can have a scene between the love interest and their mom, where the protagonist isn't even there. You still need to identify who scene it is, what they want during the course of that scene, and hopefully how it affects the larger narrative. That's the first mm-hmm. thing I'll say. So when I'm considering who scene it is, I'm also considering what does winning look like for them. What does winning look like for them, and what does losing look like for them? Hopefully, across from the tape, you know, across from them, you have another character who has an equally grounded objective that's in direct conflict with whoever's characters, you know, whoever's, um, whatever character scene it is, Mm -hmm. right. You have two Mm -hmm. people who have reasonable objectives that are in direct contrast to each other. That's an exciting scene. Sometimes scenes don't include another person. Sometimes it's environmental, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like making it out of the ditch where they crashed their car. That could be a Mm -hmm. really, that could be a really interesting scene, but there's always an obstacle and a conflict there to that is trying to prevent the character whose scene it is from getting their goal, from reaching their goal. And so I'm writing towards the turn. A lot of, you know, if you if you Google about scene structure, you'll always read about the turn. But I always think about it more as the moment where we know who has won the scene. I'm writing mm-hmm. towards that moment. Did the character who came into the scene with the strongest objective win, or were they somehow persuaded? or foiled did they somehow lose the scene and the other character won right Mm. so um in the bank robbery thing you're talking about there's obviously the version where the character comes in and robs the bank and the teller is scared and they and they give all the money and the and the character who was robbing gets away that character won the scene the moment where they win the scene is probably when the teller overcomes their fear and puts the money in the bag, and we know that they're going to win. There's also the scene where, you know, they trip the silent alarm, and the police mm-hmm. show up, and we realize, oh, the scene is not going to go the way we thought it was, and we have to watch the, char- the character pivot a different direction in the next scene because things didn't go right. So I'm always writing towards that turn. Who wins the scene? That's what I want to know. I want to know who whose scene it is, what do they want, are they going to win or not? And I'm writing towards that moment that sort of uh, the pinnacle of of the drama and the conflict where we understand, did the character win or did the character lose? So that's what I'm thinking about when I'm writing. And I love that. I love dialogue scenes where two characters want different things. They're both are reasonable. They both have reasons why they want those two different things. And there's sort of a banter and a back and forth between the two characters. Even better if it's based in some emotional context that I've established throughout the rest of the script.
1: Yeah. I want to bring up one other type of scene and see what you think about it. Cause there's a, um, by the way, I agree with, 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 all that. That's, I think that's, you know, really, really knowledgeable on it. I, I can't think of a good segue, but somehow it makes me think of this other type of scene, which is a little bit counter. Uh-huh. And I, I want to know what you think. I, I have always found that audiences, including myself, Tend to like process, and they're, I, and I think, and I'll get to what I mean by that. But I think they like it because what process is in a movie or a television show is ultimately mission. It's the same thing, really. You, when it's done well, it's it's mission. Mm-hmm. But it it is one of it's it is those types of scenes are the are the only ones that I was thinking about uh, coming in here today. Those are the types of scenes the, that I don't know how to. Ca- it's almost like a separate category in my mind mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't necessarily follow all of the rules that we're talking about. Right. But I actually think they are quite valuable scenes, um, and th- these are the scenes that are the prep for the uh, for for the bank robbery. These mm-hmm. are the scenes that are uh, the, the the beginning of there will be blood comes to mind. There,
0: right. there is
1: it's literally just drilling an oil well that's the mm-hmm. whole fucking thing there's no there's no dialogue until they hit oil but that's what the whole movie is about so it's 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 a way to start that up and it establishes the mission yeah. right from the beginning you can find those scenes in different places in movies and in TV shows and they don't always have a turn necessarily and they don't always involve other people or even necessarily have like a present obstacle in that particular scene But I think audiences tend to like to watch the mission unfold or the mission be established. And that is um, how process scenes tend to work. And I I think they work well. What do you think about that?
0: Well, you know, I first of all, sometimes you need those scenes, right? Sometimes you need to understand the, like you said, the process, the rules, the the world, the setting in some way that that warrants its own scene. In my mind, and I know that we get a little iffy with our strict definition here. In my mind, I always think of those scenes as, I call them connective tissue. You know, I okay. call them the okay. scenes that sort of support connective tissue in, in the human body. Like they support the muscles in the bone. They're not, you know, they're not the main structure. They're not the main meat of it. But they're important to like sort of get us in and out of other moments or to help us understand certain things. And when I think of those... You know, it's funny. I I almost never outline those scenes. Those scenes I almost always find as I'm writing and I go, oh, we need to understand. um, We need to have a moment here for rhythm or for suspense or for drama or for process or for setting the rules of the world before I start the real scene. I'll give you an example. I'm writing something right now, a television show, and a character walks into a taco shop to discover that something very surprisingly, something surprisingly violent has happened in this taco shop. He wasn't expecting to see that. That's the drama, right? The drama is he comes in to get information from certain people. Those people have been eviscerated and that's a shock, right? He doesn't win that scene. He comes in to try to get information from people. The people are dead. So he loses that scene and he has to pivot to something else. Okay. So I had that scene outlined. I was going to write that scene. But then I was like, you know what? I need a little moment beforehand. And so I wrote the moment of him approaching the taco shop and a customer coming out and or the shop that he was going to go into and get this information and a customer coming out and saying, hey, man, I, I wouldn't even bother. There's nobody in there to get the to take your order. That scene is really a nothing scene, but it sort mm-hmm. of starts the suspense and the drama for the next scene. So in my mind and on my beat sheet, those moments are really one moment even though they take place in slightly different times and slightly different locations and they sort of foil the idea of of individual scenes happening here and there you know in individual places during individual times like the definition i gave you at the start of this um i do consider them dramatically the same scene and dramatically connected uh to the extent that they don't really deserve to be separated
1: yeah i get that i get that I get that. And I don't think that's, that's, I think that's a good point. I don't think that's, that's, um, you know, counter in any way or anything. I, I think that's, I think that's right. A, a, an, another scene that comes to mind, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. This is more of a traditional thing, but I, you know, in terms of just, I guess, tips or whatever, um, the, 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 again, just to the process scene, the, the, infamous fuck scene in uh the wire between mcnulty and um what's his name bunk Mm -hmm. where they're in that apartment do you know the scene i'm talking about no i don't remember it so they're in an an apartment where i believe a shooting has taken place they're investigating it there's no dialogue this is just them doing their job Mm -hmm. they're measuring things they're doing the ballistic shit they're looking in the refrigerator see the bullet hole they -hmm. don't talk to each other they just say fuck Mm -hmm. and go like nolte goes oh fuck Mm -hmm. and then bunker go oh see discover something else and go fuck oh right right, they never say what they're discovering they never nothing it's just but what that scene does is it shows the art those two characters at work doing what they do it's their it 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 illustrates in an interesting way both their relationship but also their mission and their relationship to work to to, to not to work their relationship to their mission mm-hmm. and and, and the, which is the same thing that happens at the beginning of there will be blood that it is it is just process of what right. this person does but it establishes their mission and their relationship to that mission and i think those scenes are just again in my mind like in this like weird little unique category that uh that right. people tend to like and and they're they're a bit Ill, ill-defined but i think they are and i doubt i i wonder if that to your point about your example i wonder if it was even scripted that way i wonder if it was just simply like the beginning of a scene where they go in the scene and they right. look at some shit and then it expanded into this kind of you know Funny scene that has no dialogue, um, where the, where we just sort of, you know, it's a, it ends up being a rem- memorable scene.
0: Bro, one of, one of my favorite scenes
1: of all time is,
0: I love the movie The Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah's ultra-violent Western uh, from the 1960s. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a look. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it away because you guys have had literally 60 years to go check it out. <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, spoiler alert. But there's a moment where they're, you know, it's this group of outlaw cowboy types, really violent and really willing to kill. And one of their men have been captured, but there's sort of this indication that they were all about their money anyway. He knew what was at stake for him. And if he got captured, it's his own fault. He's on his own that, you know, no honor amongst thieves. Mm -hmm. But there's a change of heart. And the leader walks into one of the other bandits rooms and says, you ready? That's it. That's all he says. You ready? And the other guy gets up (laughs) and then we get like a five minute walking scene as they're walking towards going back to save their homie. There's no there's again, there is no It's sort of like what's their intention? What's the I, I guess their goal is to walk from one place to another. That's very slight. But what it does is it builds suspense. And because the context of the movie is so clear, we understand what they're going to do it made sense only because we knew we sort of had built to the emotional point where they were going to have a change of heart. Yes. Otherwise that scene makes no sense. It's it's, it's, it's just them walking and one guy says, let's go. And the other guy like smiles and goes with them. Like it doesn't make any sense. But in the moment, I'm telling you when you watch that movie in the theater, if you ever get a chance to like go to a repertoire theater that plays old movies and you watch that movie in the big screen, you will have chills during that. walk. You have yeah. you, I get goosebumps every time I see them walk from one place to another and all they're doing is walking. So I hear, you know, obviously we're talking about scenes with a little more dramatic heft, but it can be these small things. It can be the process like you talked about. It can be a walk. It can be entering a building like the
1: example I gave you. Um, you it can know, be but- the filing thing like you said at the end of your movie. Yes, which absolutely. Is the exact same thing. Which yeah. is, that's, that's what makes it work. But you
0: can't have a whole movie of those. You know what I mean? No, like, you, no, no, no. They you only, can't. You can't. You they know. only <laughs> can be interspersed in context of scenes that actually move the drama forward. Right. right. Otherwise, I promise you, someone's going to read your script and they're just going to start putting red lines through those scenes and just say, why do you need this why cut? Do need why do you yeah. need this cut? Those are often the first scenes that go in revisions
1: anyway. Yeah, exactly. Can I ask you one quick question? And then I know we got to. yeah talk to me about you know scenes involve dialogue so how do you approach what what people say um as you're thinking about scenes
0: yeah i mean i said this before in the dialogue episode that we did which is like i enjoy subtext i enjoy the kind of scenes where people either by virtue of who they are as a character or the or where the context of the scene in the movie they can't say what they really mean right? You think about a husband and wife who are at odds with each other, but neither one of them wants to start a fight. So they're being very careful about what they say. There's a lot of subtext there. That's more interesting. It goes back to the character, to the audience sort of being a little bit behind the movie and having to figure out what's going on and what they really mean and what the subtext. If you've done it right, they're going to get the subtext right away. And that's I think that just makes it more interesting and more challenging. So I'm trying to get... I think that there are several layers to a scene, right? It's like what they want on the surface should be pretty clear. But then how they go about getting it, I like to mess it up a little bit. You know, if they can't say what they really want, if they can't just come out and say what they want, that's way more interesting to me. If there's something physically challenging them in the moment as well, I think that's something that's really interesting. this is the last tip I'll give, Shu, because I just thought about it, which is see if you can avoid scenes Dialogue scenes where people are just sitting across from each other talking. Giving Mm -hmm. them a little bit of activity that might not move the story forward in a significant way, but might uh, inject the scene with a different kind of energy can be really, really helpful for your scenes. You know, I gave the example to you before, Shu, of you have a husband and a wife arguing and they're sitting across from the kitchen table. Okay, that's interesting. You might be able to write a good scene. Mm -hmm. But what if they're arguing and having this discussion? as the wife has gone out to the garage to change the light bulb that she asked the husband to change two weeks ago, mm-hmm. same scene, mm-hmm. same content, same objective. The activity is different. It can give the scene a whole different energy than if it was just that the, they were just
1: sitting on the couch or just across the table from each other. Yeah. 100%. I love that. I love that. I agree with all, I don't have much to add. I just think dialogue is action and, and, and to, to see it as, as such and less is, is generally more, um, this is not a play. This is where it, it differs from, from playwriting, one of the key areas. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Don't Do That Shit. You already know what it is. You might know it as uh, DDTS. It's our famous segment where we give you a little bite-sized advice by telling you what not to do. Gonna make your writing better, your craft better, your career as a screenwriter, and maybe just your humanity, your 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 existence as a person better by telling you what not to do. It's don't do that shit.
1: Don't do that shit. Do that shit.
0: So Shu, uh, I have a don't do that shit. I don't know if you want to go first, second.
1: I'll I'll go so, first. And okay, uh, go ahead. let you let you close us out. Yeah. Uh my don't do that shit this week is uh pretty simple um uh, my don't do that shit is for all writers out there please do not happens to the best of us, but please do not brainstorm your script or screenplay or teleplay brainstorm do not brainstorm ideas with non writers. Oh. <laughs> Let me no dis no diss to non writers. No diss to non writers. But you can brainstorm in the most general sense, I I suppose, but don't take any of their ideas. <laughs> this, the you can you can take the essence of the idea, maybe, but I would avoid it altogether. If you're having a story problem or if you're having a you know you know, maybe it's if it's just a casual thing, but if you are really trying to like brainstorm some ideas, don't brainstorm with your mom. Don't brainstorm with your like, you know, executives. Right. Don't brainstorm with, you know, your cousin. Don't brainstorm with your friend. Unless they are a writer, like, do not brain, do not do that. You're going to oh, yes. get yourself in a world of trouble. You, a mechanic would not ask me. How to, you know, could I brainstorm fixing this radiator? Right. There's a reason. Or like putting brakes on. Right. There's a reason. I don't know how to like fix the toilet either. I'm not going to brainstorm with the plumber on how to do that. 100%. I might be able to say like, hey, my toilet's running. I can assess, you know, a little something, you know, right. and maybe to tell them what, what some of the issues are. But I, I, I don't brain. I'm not going to brainstorm. So don't do that. If you're ever in that position, which you will inevitably be, where people who are not writers want to brainstorm with you to help you. You can listen, but just don't take any of the prescriptive ideas. You know, you can listen to them and maybe they have like a little nugget or something that you can then go off and use your writer brain to solve. But don't don't get caught in that trap.
0: I 100 percent agree. I bounce ideas off with my wife all the time. And she says, she knows, she says, I know that you're never going to actually use any of my ideas, but I think talking it out loud helps you. It's really just about Mm -hmm. me saying the problems out loud and then getting to a place where I understand what the issue is.
1: You know, yes. same. Some... My wife is great. My wife yes. is great, but, but they, know, not they know they know the drill. drill. They don't actually
0: yes. think that they're writers stepping into <laughs> right. your That's world right. to give you the answer. That's just like they know that they can be a great sounding board and maybe provide some insight or some yeah. you know opinions of a viewer. But they're not expecting it to become a collaborative <laughs> no, journey they, for they the rest of you, the script.
1: They can tell you, I, I hear a click in the engine. I think right. that, I think you got a click. That's what it is. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, I don't do that shit. Don't do this shit. This goes out to writers of all levels, shoe. Writers of all levels, don't do this shit. Don't say that the person who has found more success than you is lucky. Don't say that they got lucky with mm. your hating ass. Don't say that <laughs> they got lucky. It, it's not luck, guys. It's not luck. Uh, I you and I, you and I are. Uh, <laughs> You know, I say this all the time. We're we're firmly in the middle. We're like middle of the yeah, road we're, guys we're right now. We're middling. just like, yeah, we're employable and we've strung together some shows and some movies and some projects. But, you know, we're not at the top of the industry. When I look at people who are way above me, right? When I look at the, you know, Shonda Rhimes, the John Wells, the Julie Plex, uh, the Ryan Murphys, the people who are at the top of the industry, right? I don't say they got lucky. I guess they just got lucky. Come on, man. No, they executed a strategy. They had a plan. And the biggest thing is they had talent. They have talent at what they do. They actually have a skill set. And just because it's very hard to make it in this industry, which it is, I can't think of anything except maybe professional sports that is sort of more competitive and has a higher barrier to entry. Just because it's rare to make it to the top, to that top level where you have overall deals and multiple shows and multiple movie hits and you're making millions of dollars. That's rare. Just because it's rare doesn't mean that luck is the biggest contributing factor. I also don't look at Kobe and LeBron and Tim Duncan and Jordan and Wilt and go, they got lucky. They got lucky. Right. They're sort of. I think that a lot of times, and this is why I call you all haters when you say that, because... What, you, what your luck, what your luck um, worldview really betrays is that you don't think talent matters. What you think is, what you're saying at that point is, well, I wrote a script and they wrote a script. And a lot of people have written a script. And the people who make it to the top are lucky. We all have scripts. They just got lucky. Stop it. Mm. They're talented. They work really hard. They have a great plan. Uh, they're also writing things that the industry is craving. So stop saying that people got lucky. You sound like a hater. It takes skill and talent and hard work and planning to make it any rungs up the ladder. Whether you are just starting off as an assistant or a staff writer or you got your first option or you are a mega producer at the very top with a nine-figure deal from Netflix, luck isn't what got you there. Skill, talent, and strategy is what got you there. Okay. And, And hard work and dedication.
1: Okay, Okay, I mostly agree with you. I think I feel where you're coming from. Uh, I do feel where you're coming from, but I have a question on your don't do that shit. Yes. How do you square that? Because we both agree that this industry is not capital N.O.T. We talked about it, not a meritocracy. Yeah. So how do you square that with... How do you square those two things? They sound like they're in conflict. Well, no, I mean,
0: it's, racism isn't luck. Like, I don't think you get, you, you're not, again, if you want to say that, like, certain people are have a harder go of it because of, for example, their race, that's absolutely, that's probably true. I don't think that the people who benefited from that are lucky. I think that they just have a have an industry that's sort of skewed towards them. I don't think that, for example, nepotism is luck. I mean that's nepotism. Nepotism isn't luck. Luck is winning the lottery. Luck is okay. finding a, a twenty dollar bill on the street. So again, I think that people can maybe get, you know, sort of pushes from certain aspects of of, of bias,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that sucks. But that doesn't mean that they that they got lucky. That means that they you know they they benefited from certain circumstances that existed. But I don't think that's luck
1: that doesn't mean they're uh, well there are some untalented hacks but that doesn't mean for that doesn't mean that they're largely untalented hacks as a result
0: of- No because the game yes, the game is what you're saying sure yeah. the game is all about and this is where strategy comes in the game is all about positioning yourself to accept the opportunity So yes. if you're a white guy writing white guy material and you're working your scripts, and you strategize to get to this white guy company where a white guy is hiring other white guys, I don't think you got lucky. I think you made a play (laughs) based on the circumstances. Just like if you're a young Black female writer-director, and you apply to one of these diversity fellowships, I don't think you got lucky. I think you made a straight, you know what I mean? You weren't lucky that there was diversity, you know? And I think if you're a guy who knows that your uncle was once the head of Warner brothers and you get him a script that he can send to his friends,
1: I don't think you're lucky. lucky. I think you're using what
0: you played the game. And so, I mean, we could talk about, is the game rigged? Absolutely. Should the game be more fair? Absolutely. Does that mean that anybody who's benefited from strategy and taking advantage of how the game is rigged is lucky. No, I don't think so. No, I got and again, you. I, I got I'll, I'll yeah. say what I said at the beginning of the episode: is that you know nepotism. For example, it might get your foot in the door, and you might get a couple um, shots that you don't necessarily deserve. But you ain't gonna stick around forever. You yeah. know, you ain't gonna yeah. you ain't gonna be Shonda Rhimes with multiple hits that everybody loves. Yeah. That is not luck. That's my point. I feel you. All right, well Let's wrap it up know. I know I You have been listening to The Diversity Hires Find us across all social media You know the drill At Div Hires Pod Facebook, Twitter, Instagram Patreon.com slash Div Where you can become a patron And donate some money To help
1: us keep this thing afloat I'm your co-host Sherman Payne and I'm your other co-host, Shukri Hassan Tillman. This show is produced by the wonderful, brilliant, talented August K. Burton, aka AKB. Shout out to our social media director, Tia Wren. T Ren, what's up? Uh, she's doing all this. <laughs> She's doing all the great work on social media. Uh, listen, remember to sign up for our newsletter at thediversityhires.com you can also reach out to us there send us a message let us know show topics you know we we we, we could probably use a couple show topic uh, suggestions so throw some stuff out to us uh, also go on to apple Podcasts or spotify or anywhere that you find your this podcast and rate our podcast we're very close to a 100 five star ratings we're trying to get there sooner than later so go ahead and last but not least share this podcast share it in your groups share it across your emails run down the street naked and share the podcast and if you know a collegiate athlete who wants to you know sell their name image and likeness uh, to the diversity hires for like a couple dollars let us know if you're a college athlete and you want to just hit us up and let us know you'd like to do that please do so that we can share the word about this podcast uh, we will, We should get a college athlete though that would be dope um, <laughs> uh, we will see you all uh, next time on the diversity High. peace